Welcome to Bridgewater Church. My name is Josh. I'm privileged to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to welcome you here to get into the message for today. I've got four kids, Kristen and I do, Cole, Maggie, Sadie, and Gracie. Cole is 18 and gone, but when he was 13, um, his 13th birthday was kind of a big deal. 13 is a big one in our house. We just choose to make it that way. And uh, one, of, one of our extended relatives that Cole has a special relationship with thought it would be a cool idea to help Cole um, really experience firsthand the blessing and the, the amazing uh, feeling you get surrounding generosity and giving. So he called me one day and said, here's what I would like to do for Cole's birthday. I want to write him a letter and I want to send a check for a lump sum of money, a lot of money, especially for a 13-year-old kid. And in this letter, I want to say that you've got one year to spend all this money. And he gave him some uh, a prescription for what ways to look for it, according to uh, types of giving you see in the Bible. One would be to give anonymously and you don't know what happens with the gift you give. One would be to give anonymously, but you do get to see what happens with the gift you give. Another one would be to give publicly where they know it's from you, but you don't get to see what happens with it. And another one would be where you give publicly, they know it's you, uh, and you actually get to see what happens with what you give. So that was it. So let me tell you what Cole did. Right out of the gate, he bought a new iPhone, a new gaming system, and a new hunting rifle. He didn't do that. No, he didn't do that. He actually bought me a hunting rifle. I needed, no, he didn't do that either. Now, Cole, he didn't do any of that stuff. He, he had a year and he had a year to identify what are some needs I could meet, who are some people whose needs I could meet. Why would it have been totally inappropriate for Cole just to take that lump sum and spend it on himself? You know the answer. It wasn't his and it was already spoken for. It would have been wrong for him to take something that he was meant to just be a conduit, a channel with, and, and to get it clogged right there. And so we kind of understand that, and we can see it in an example like that. But I think in real life, if you're like me at all, you have a tough time viewing yourself as a conduit. We, we more view ourselves as like collection areas right? We just like the money to just stop right here, the resources to stop right here and build it up and make it nice and decorate it and really pad it, right? So that it's really, really nice. Now, Cole knew he couldn't do that because the money was not his own. It came from another source. It was not his to keep. It was his to manage. It was his to use as it was intended to be used. It wasn't to bless him financially, but so that he could bless others, and uh, maybe you don't have a wealthy family member who's willing to help you get started like that. But I want to argue this morning that uh, I think we're pretty wealthy. I think you and I are pretty wealthy. I think we're more wealthy than we think we are. Here's a website I found a number of years ago called How Rich Am I? It's a pretty neat website. It, uh, you, you can do a few things. You, you put the country that you live in, uh, the number of adults and children in your house, and then your annual income. And then it will tell you where you are on the global rich list, all right, as compared to other nations around the world. And then it will tell you um, what your situation would be like if you gave away 10% of that income. And it gives you a couple of, of examples of what that amount of money, that 10% would do in various places in the world. And then it's got a list of potential charities and, and stuff. It's pretty insightful. Uh, you might want to check it out. Here's, here's a real life example that I will share with you. 
Now, this was uh, 2008. Kristen and I were brand new in, in local church ministry. Two adults in our home, three children at the time. And I was bringing in $27,500 for the year. That is how we started. I don't know where that, where that is in, in your mind, but let me just tell you, we were on government assistance. We were on every level of low-income offerings that our federal and state governments put out there. We were in need. We felt poor. Um, but even then, we were in the top 23.7% of the world's population in terms of wealth, with our income being more than three times the global median. That's stark. And I think it points out a couple, I want to make a couple observations. Most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. We don't feel rich, but we are. We have houses, apartments, shelters, whatever. We also have houses for our cars that we call garages. We have barns for the extra stuff that won't fit in the house or the garage. We have multiple options of what we're going to eat multiple times a day. And most of the time, we get to make those choices. We also have flushing toilets. You visit other parts of the world, you just be very thankful. Just flush it away. Here's another observation. I think most Americans think we're generous, and we aren't. We think we are generous, but statistics show Americans give on average of 2.8% of our income away annually. 2.8%. And you're like, well, that's right. I'm making like 27.5. I couldn't afford to give away anymore. If I made more money, I'd give more away. Statistics show that's actually not true. Once you hit the $100,000 annual income threshold, you actually give away 2.6% as opposed to 2.8. Earn more, give less. This is the way it goes. But in this series, we're not just talking about giving. We're talking about something else. We're talking about generosity. The two are different. Giving is an action, but generosity is a posture of my life. It's a new default. It's, it's a different starting point. Most people, I think, believe that they're generous because they gave something sometime or they give something sometimes. They gave in the past and they felt pretty good about that, or you do something every now and then and feel pretty good about that. But is that all that we as followers of Jesus are called to do? Give something sometimes? How does God feel about the 2.8%? I think we're called to something different. Because, not because God wants or needs our money or our resources, but because of what he's done for us. Because of what God has done, this is what we do. Today, we're going to talk about what we do. We put God first. That's what we do. We're going to put God first. And it sounds all great, but how do you do that? How do you put God first? What we're going to do is we're going to walk back to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And they were in a similar spot. They had an opportunity to give coming their way. There was another church, another group of followers of Jesus who were desperately in need. And Paul was coming around and he was taking collections for this identified need. 
And he said, I want you guys to be a part of this. You guys, you've got to give. This is an incredible opportunity to be generous. And like us, they're thinking, ah, how much can we give? What can I do? What do I, what can I afford? How is this going to affect me? I don't know. A little bit insecure because honestly, most of us just get a little insecure when talking about money. It's a little uncomfortable. But Paul comes right alongside him and we're going to jump into the middle of what he says to him here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. He says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So Paul, right out of the gate, says, here's our mindset. Because of what God does, this is what we do. And the first thing he says we do is we give generously. That's what we do. If you're taking notes today, have the app or whatever you've got, that's the first one. We give generously. It's interesting in Paul's encouragement here to these people, he really gives two options in verse six. He says, you can plant a few seeds or you can plant a lot of seeds. One option he doesn't give them is not planting. You give a little or you give a lot, but he doesn't give them the door letter, letter C. There's no, there's no third option. It's a little or a lot. But he says, this is not out of pressure or duty or obligation or from manipulation. This is out of your heart. You just decide in your heart what you're going to give. But what he says next is surprising. He doesn't talk about the amount they'll have left over after they give, but about how God will respond to their giving. He will meet their needs. You just give whatever you decide in your heart to give, and God will come back on the back end of that thing, and he will meet your needs. He assures them that God is a generous giver. He says, go ahead. It's safe to give because the one who gives to you is more generous than you are. You can trust him. It seems that when we respond to God's generosity with us by being generous with others, he then uses us to be even a, a greater channel of blessing to others. This thing begins to take off. It begins to grow. In one particular instance of Cole's generosity project, um, we, we have some friends who are missionaries in another part of the world. They were home in the United States visiting their supporters. And, and so Kristen and I, we got together with them, uh, them and their kids and, and we and our kids, and they opened up the sliding door to the van they were using um, to, to drive around. And it was astonishing. It was jammed full of stuff. They had a lot of kids, but even more stuff. And so the kids like couldn't even sit in a, in one of the chairs in this van without their feet being on top of a suitcase and like just, it was a nightmare. You could have stacked all their stuff up and just laid the kids down on top of it like a bed. And I'll never forget that door opening and that image, you know, kind of burning in our minds and Cole's like light bulb. I know what to do. I can buy them a roof box for that car so that when they travel around the months that they're in the States, they can put all their stuff up there and their kids can actually sit in a seat. How about that? Like, let's do it. So we got on Amazon, 
ordered it up. It came, and this was an opportunity where he gave it publicly and got to watch the result. I'll tell you what, you could have just knocked them all over. They were so appreciative of this gift. I'll tell you who was more astonished was our son. It blew him away. Like, I'm sure they got in the, in the van to drive away when we were finished and we're just talking about it. Cole was just nonstop. Like, that was, I'm getting the chills talking about it. It was amazing and way more amazing for him. Now, Cole's personality, money never lasts very long in his hands anyway. Um, but a good, a good uh, result attached to that is when there's a need and he's got resources, he has no problem just giving it right away. It had a lasting impact on him. And more so on him, the giver, than on them, the recipients. Remember we talked about Acts 20, 35, when Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He said, I never would have believed it. How could you believe it until you experience it? And it was incredible for him. Jesus would know. Jesus would know it's more blessed to give than to receive. Look what Paul writes about Jesus elsewhere in 2 Corinthians. Let's see this passage. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. If anyone knows what it is to give, it's Jesus, and he knows it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, in all this talk about giving and you talk about all the wonderful experiences, it doesn't for all of us remove all the tension that we're feeling about this whole subject. And Paul understands that as well. It's not like he's lost touch of reality and what it feels like and means to give away something that you could have used for yourself. That's why in verse 8, he said to them, when you give, God will generously provide for all you need. So it's not like we're supposed to be in denial about how this is going to affect us and what I'm going to have to sacrifice in order to give what I ought to be giving. It's just that I'm not supposed to focus so much on the bottom line as how I can trust God with the bottom line. That's what he's getting after. We know we're giving, we're giving of our resources, yet we're trusting God to come through for our needs as we come through for the needs of others. That is what we're talking about. And it's almost as if that would be enough. But it actually gets better than that. We give generously. It's really amazing. But there's something that happens on the back end beyond the blessing it is to me and the blessing it is to the people who receive it. There's something else here that we notice in the text in verses 10 and 11. Let's look at them. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. God is the source. He is the supplier here. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So here's the second thing. We put God first, we give generously, and he multiplies abundantly. God does more with our gifts. It does more in his hands than it does in our hands. These people receive a monetary gift and the praise rolls right on back up to God. They will thank God. This will bring their attention to God. You will meet their needs. God will meet your needs. They will thank God. Like this is a pretty good process happening here. Paul brings them back to reality and says, hey, what would you have if God didn't provide it? Really? 
No, no, this is what we do. We understand that what we have is from him. And it's not for us. It's for us to use for him by meeting the needs of other people. It's not ours to hoard and collect and put in a collection and hang up on the wall and then build a barn and build a bigger barn and put all your stuff in that one. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, hoarding like that is discouraged. He's talking about be a conduit. And maybe you're just a real narrow one, but the more you give, the wider you become. The wider you become and the more of God's resources flow through you to bless more and more and more people. And then God in response blesses us with more to be able to be generous with, to meet our needs and to be generous with. It's all there. And I think for most of us, that sounds good. I do. I think you might hear that and say, that's, that's great. Um, I have to go to work tomorrow. I have to. And then next week, because this week's money is for this week and next week's money is for next week. So what do you got for me there? I think it's very easy for us to lose sight of things that are actually true, but hard to see. And we fall into this cycle that these people, these followers of Jesus might have been in, and we're going to call this the cycle of the scarcity cycle. Here's the way the scarcity cycle goes. Here's how you know if you're in this before I describe it. If, if you find yourself saying, I wish we could do more, but we can't, you might just be living in the scarcity cycle. If every time someone talks to you about money or finances, you get uptight and insecure. You just might be living in the scarcity cycle. Here's how it goes. God supplies, we consume. Thank you, God, for giving it to me. Now I've used it. Now, now that I've consumed it, it's gone. And I'm in a place of lack. I don't have it anymore. And that lack doesn't feel very good. We begin to fear. Now I'm afraid. Ah, <sighs> I just had something and I've used it and I used it up and now it's gone and now I'm afraid. So what do I do? I don't like feeling that way. So I medicate that feeling with more consumption. I consume even more. And the result is all too common. It's debt. I use what I have. It's gone. I don't like feeling this way. It's uncomfortable. So I'm just going to have a little bit more. This is, this is how we have boxes of stuff that we don't use. This is what keeps our garbage and recycling places so busy. Amazon loves you. Online shopping loves you. Your credit card company loves you. And they know this. And that's why it's set up the way it is. But I think Paul in this passage, is describing a different type of process. He really is talking about these steps in a cycle. We're going to call this the supply cycle. Here's what God has in mind for us. And I think this cycle, though Paul didn't express it this way, would be near and dear to his heart. Here's how this goes. God supplies and we give. We give. And then when we do, God does something with it. He multiplies it. We scatter some seed, and what it produces is beyond what we scattered. And when we see God multiply it, something happens in us. Our faith grows. And then what happens is we have this harvest of generosity. I just can't wait to do that again. 
Because what I found is that I identified a need. I met it. God took care of me. I, look, another need. I can meet it. Boom. I have all that I need and I can share. This is unbelievable. This is what Paul is talking about here. Now, please don't misunderstand me. This is not a formula to get rich. This is a formula for a rich life. That's what it is. This is a way of living, a way of thinking about resources, countercultural. You're only going to hear this from people who teach the Bible. This is what's in there. And I think there are ways, practical steps that we can take to get involved in this kind of thing. I'm going to talk about them later. We're going to talk about giving regularly. We're going to talk about giving proportionately. We're going to talk about giving sacrificially. But we're, I'll come back to that later. Some of, you, some of you have been around church for a while. Or some of you have been around church people for a while. And you're like, wait a minute. We're talking about money. Aren't you going to talk about the tithe at all? Isn't that in there somewhere? Aren't we supposed to talk about tithes? Great question. Let's talk about it. To do that, let's go to the Old Testament passage where it's really zeroed in on extensively. This is the last book in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. There's a prophet speaking to God's people, Israel, on behalf of God, and he's talking about the tithe. Here's what he says, prophet Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So let's kind of get this straight here. Uh, the tithe is giving the first 10%. It doesn't mean 10%. Tithe is the first 10% of your resources. The first 10% of what you earn. And though it's not explicitly commanded for us in the New Testament later in the Bible, I think it's a, a very common example used all over the place, and we could learn a lot from it. So we're going to zero in right here for a second, because it has some surprising benefits, and we get to see how God, uh, up close and personal, thinks about the tithe. So let's talk about what the tithe does. If you try the tithe, giving the first 10% of what you earn, here's what it'll do for you. It will teach you to put God first. In talking about the tithe, Moses writes in Deuteronomy 14, 23, doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord. How do you put God first? We give. We give. He knows that money and resources are so close to our heart. We put God first when we trust him with the first 10%. Not only does it... Um, teach us to put God first. It also builds our faith. In verse 10 in Malachi 3, he says, put me to the test. If you get into the Bible pretty regularly and you read through the Old Testament, you're going to read passage after passage after passage where God's people test him. And it's not good. They test his patience. They test him, test him, test him. It's it, testing God in the Old Testament, bad idea. This is the one spot we have in scripture where God says, test me. Go ahead. I give you the go ahead. Green light here. Test me. 
Just see how I respond when you trust me with the first 10%. God blesses it. 90%, your 90% with God's blessings goes further than 100% without it. I'll tell you that. Start here and grow your faith. I'll tell you, if you do this, it makes no sense to the world. No sense to the world. But this is what we do. When Kristen and I were part of another church, this is uh, over a decade ago now, we had a, a campaign similar to our vision campaign, and she and I were talking about what we were going to give. And if our initial income tells you anything about, well, that might give you a clue as to the ballpark we're working with, okay? And we decided we're in. We're going to give. And we, someone told us a weird thing. Choose a number you're excited about. I'm like, mm, excitement and giving away money, incongruent. Like they don't go together. But as we began to talk about it and pray, we settled on a sacrificial number. We were excited. And over a three-year period of time, we gave that money. I don't know how to describe this because I'm not good at math. But I'm even worse at God's math because God's math is different. We gave away more in that period of time than we ever had in our lives. We were able to put money aside for future for the very first time in our life. We opened up a savings account for the very first time in our lives during the time of this intense giving. It was our 10-year anniversary. We had money earmarked that we had worked hard to put away for a trip to celebrate our first decade together. Moved that over to the campaign. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary at Five Guys Burgers and Fries. <laughs> Memorable. God took care of us. It was exciting, and I'm thrilled that we did that. And for us, that was maybe, maybe the biggest hinge point for us when it comes to giving. We just thought, whatever. If there's a need and, and we want to meet it, game over. We're doing it. We're just going to trust God on the back end. He never, ever has disappointed, and we have never missed a payment or a bill. It's been unbelievable. Lastly, it provides for the work of God's church. How much effort would it take for you to lead five teenagers to faith in Jesus Christ? Because that just happened last weekend. You know how you did that? Oh, yeah, you did that. You did that when you gave online. You did that when you put money in the box. You did that when you mailed the check-in. You did that. It fuels God's work. That's how it works. You're going to give up 250 boxes of mashed potatoes. Piece of cake. You did it with the backpacks. I think some of you are thinking maybe this message is like, boy, we're not doing it right. We need to do it right. No, I'm telling you, you are. You are. You guys do this all the time. And it blows us away. This is what we do. For others of you, you're like, I'm not in on this game. I'd have to rearrange my whole life to do this. Yep. I'd have to really give up something important to me. If I was going to get in on this, yep. This would stretch my faith. Oh yeah, it does. But this is what we do. Let me show you. This is just 2022. This is Bridgewater in 2022, all of Bridgewater. This is one little piece of the budget. This is our benevolence fund. When you give, you can earmark. Everything goes in the general fund unless you're giving to vision, but you can mark benevolence. And here's what this does. This is the hands and feet of Jesus right here in our communities. 
and in some cases, other parts of the world. You guys gave $17,275.33 to go toward people in need with things like vehicle repair or needing a new appliance, someone in a tough spot needing help with rent. You helped with insurance. You helped a school bill. You helped with groceries and health and home repair, legal services. You volunteered, over, over 800 people volunteered in our Be the Church event just to, just to go do things for people. You paid for some heating bills. You paid for some counseling. And that's just here locally. An additional $45,000 was given to Life Choices, CareNet, and Hope for Cora. It's just one little aspect. It's just one little piece of it. Let's take it a step further. This is just Halloween here at the top. You gave away 43,000 pieces of candy at a Halloween outreach where people are given invites, in some cases gospel tracts, and we're getting to, to interact with our community, the very people that we want to see come to faith in Jesus. 37,900 cars came to a Bridgewater campus in 2022. That's just a lot of cars right there. Some of you need to ride a bicycle. Bridgewater gave away 15,756 cups of coffee, 5,148 cups of hot chocolate to attenders in 2022. I think you could do better than that. This is just simple stuff. This is just simple. And there's another opportunity coming. You heard about it in the feed. Vision 2023. We have a big giving day designated for next Sunday, but the giving for Vision 2023 continues through the end of the year. Here's some categories we're hitting for Vision 2023. Hope for Cora. You may have heard about that, but they're launching a daycare center uh, that's going to meet just a, a really um, heavy, heavy need down in the poorest parts of Ethiopia. And we're earmarking some money for that. Uh, you can read more about that online. You heard that, bridgewater.church slash vision. Community gatherings right now. In fact, they're already done, uh, but in Hancock, New York, somewhere between 50 and 80 people gathered to hear the message of this message today in a place that has not been hearing things like this in a very long time. You guys did that. And we think we can do it elsewhere as well. Quickly get the message of hope of Jesus out to people in a way that they can appreciate and understand it. Multiplying ministry leaders. We, we love interns. We love training people for work in God's church. We have, in the last several years, we have had 10 interns come through. All 10 are still in full-time vocational ministry in the local church. Eight of them still at Bridgewater. Two are serving elsewhere. One of them is my son. Office renovations. Sounds like a weird one. I just encourage you to come visit us. That's almost just come by. We would love to have you come by our offices, and then I think I don't have to do any explanation. Okay? And then our Tunkhannock campus. You guys gave uh, previously in a vision campaign so that we were able to purchase the facility down there for cash. It needs work. It's, it wasn't a church building. It's going to be. And we're earmarking some money to get that thing going so that they can move out of their current facility at which they're running 120% capacity. If you want to know what it's like to go to a concert and stand in the front and have shoulder to shoulder, standing room only, go to Tunkhannock on a Sunday. Go to 9 o'clock or 9.30 or 11 o'clock next Sunday. Just try it out. And then, and then see what you think. But this is what we're doing. And we're just saying try it. Get involved. Kristen and I believe that Bridgewater uses the money that we give 
responsibly, and we see life change directly connected to it. That's why we give to Bridgewater. But I would tell you, if there's another mission, another something that's happening that, that you think is worthy of your gifts, give it there. We will trust God here. You just, however God leads your heart, there's something that's just, you think is just bang for your buck, making ministry impact, please give there. But give. Just trust God with it. You know, Cole and I, we could have, you know, Cole and I, Kristen and I could have sat down with Cole and said, um, hey, giving is great. You should try it. But getting firsthand experience was life-changing. He got to try it. And we're just urging you to try it. We give because he gave. This is what we do. And if you're wondering, well, how, how would I do that? Let me talk about it here. Let me put this kind of uh, illustration together. I got three pieces of footwear here. We got this guy. We got this guy. And we got this one here. Now, one of these three does not belong to me. I'll let you figure out which that is. If you're new to the giving game, let me, let me tell you what your first step could be. It's this, to give regularly. And this is illustrated in a, in a flip-flop. Think about a flip-flop for a second. You're not going to wear it for all day. You're not going to see doctors and nurses who are on their feet all day long wearing flip-flops. They're going to get wildly uncomfortable. It gets it done. It gets you from here to there, but it's kind of low impact, low cost, um, but it's something. It helps protect your feet, right? This is sort of a casual use kind of shoe that would be giving regularly. The amount might vary, but you're beginning to do it regularly. You get it when you go get the mail or whatever you do and you, you use something like that. So give regularly. If you're already doing that and giving not really, is not really a problem for you, your next step could be something like this. Give proportionately. Choose a proportion of your income to just set aside and give that. It's represented in a sneaker. You're going to wear something like this if you're on your feet all day. All right, you don't want to be uncomfortable in a flip-flop. This is more of a commitment. Whatever you're doing is requiring you to engage at a different level than this activity. Okay, this is a little something different. This would be giving proportionately. Choose a percentage and give it. All right, and just try it out. If you're already doing that, you're wondering what's my next step. I would say your next step is giving sacrificially. This is represented in a hiking boot where um, you put this on, you know there's pain. You know there's pain. There's miles coming. There's hills. The terrain is rough. You need something because this is a commitment. This is sacrifice. You're going to feel this one. That's what we're talking about here. Give regularly. Give proportionally. Give sacrificially. Others of you, maybe God's words to God's people through Malachi resonated with you, and you just need to try the tithe. You seem to say, you know what? Okay, I'm drawing the line right here at 10%. I would urge you to go on that How Rich Am I website, type in your income and household and all that kind of stuff. And whether you choose any of those, I'm not recommending any of those charities. I don't remember what they are. But just look at the type of impact 10% of your income could have in the world. It's staggering. Now, I love Bridgewater and God has planted us right here in these communities and, and I I'm choosing to give to see the message of the gospel go out right here. And then a few global places that we touch as well. Think about it though. Are you living in scarcity, always insecure and uptight? 
or are you living in supply? Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? At Bridgewater, we believe God has done so much for us. We give because he gave. This is what we do. Are you a part of we? Let me pray with you. God, this is a tough one because I like my stuff. I'm guessing my brothers and sisters here like their stuff too. And it sadly gets so much press and so much attention in my heart and in my life that it can distract me from things that are truly important. And honestly, it can distract me from what's even true. Because I somehow think that if I do what you're instructing me to do, I'm not going to have enough. Would you, for me and for my brothers and sisters here, convince our hearts that your word is true, that you own it all anyway, and when we use it the way you intended, we will be blessed and also be a huge blessing to others and, and really point people's attention to you. We would love that and maybe, maybe not so much that, but maybe we would love to love that. So wherever we're at in our hearts and minds this morning, would you meet us there and help us to take our next step for our joy and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.